Opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about security, and we have a wonderful guest coming to us from the East Coast, and his name is John Bruce, and I was lucky enough to meet him at a conference with the Poneman Institute, and wait to hear his fabulous accent. So let me tell you a little bit about John Bruce, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Co3 Systems. He has had a successful track record of building companies that deliver innovative customer solutions, particularly in the area of security products and services. John joined Co3 upon the acquisition by Vodafone of QuickCom, which is a, five, uh, five, a Fortune 500 international company headquartered in New York with offices in Sydney, I love Sydney, uh, Australia, and um, Singapore and London. As chairman and CEO, John has overseen all operations of that company, providing software to help corporations manage their telecoms and mobile assets. John was also the president and CEO of Authentica, which was a leader in file security and management, providing software that was used by major finance, health, the healthcare industry, technology companies, and more. And that company was acquired by EMC. He was an original member of the executive team at Counterpane, a pioneering company in the managed security services area acquired by British Telecom. And in his early formative years, he was an executive with Symantec, which all of us know, like Norton. Um, and initially, he was responsible for marketing and channel sales across Europe before relocating to California to fill a number of leadership roles. But now he is on the East Coast in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he is also, he also holds a patent in document security and he is a certified information privacy professional, and so am I. So we have that in common, and we're just thrilled to have you join us, John. Thanks for joining us from the East Coast. You're welcome, Mary. Quite the build-up there. Thank you for that. I think the best part of this is going to be your wonderful accent that's wonderful to listen to. <laughs> As I've told you, I'm from Texas originally, but not true. Um, yeah, I'm glad to be with you. I, I love your show. I know that we were both at the Poneman Institute, and we've met each other before in person, which was wonderful, and why I decided you had to come on the show. 
you recently did a study with the Poneman Institute about security. Can you talk a little bit about what that study did and what, what happened? What you learn from it? Yeah, sure. Um, well, as I think we all know, or a good number of your listeners will know, Larry and his group does a phenomenal job and has done for a number of years researching the implications of data security and in particular the breaches that can occur when data is compromised and the consequences of that, particularly in regard of you know, the expenses one incurs when a breach happens. And, and what Larry did for us was take that research onto the next level, actually. He went and consulted with a number. I think off, uh, off the top of my head, there was about 120 corporations he consulted with on our joint behalf to ask them, you know, did they feel ready to, to combat a breach in the event of it happening? And furthermore, did they have anything in place today to help them with it? And, and candidly, for our business, self-serving somewhat, it was a delight to find that, A, people understood that, yes, they should have appropriate measures in place in the event of a data privacy breach. And furthermore, unfortunately for the general populace, but fortunately for CO3, not many folks believe they have yet enough technology or, or uh, processes in place to combat it on the day that it happens. And in, uh, if we get the chance later, I'll tell you what we do here, but that's precisely what we focus on. So, so the research, I think, was very informative, as it usually is with Larry and his group. Yes, and, and I think what often happens is that companies don't really spend the money on, on security and privacy until they have a breach, until they've already experienced the horrible situation that they've experienced, and because they're spending money on marketing and other things. I mean, don't you find that to be true as well? Oh, absolutely. I think one of the, the common denominators we find, we, we've been in business now for a little while, and we find ourselves talking to hundreds of, of, of uh, clients and potential clients uh, largely focused on privacy. And uh, it, the most common denominator of all of them is that they're under-resourced. I mean, I think it's tragic in a lot of ways that a lot of very talented and dedicated people uh, are not provisioned well enough to do the job that's required of them. And uh, security did go this way. I, I've just to, to, to flesh out a little the bio that you were kind enough to describe earlier. I've been in security for a number of years, and and this was how the security function started. It, it was very under-resourced, but today it's about a sixty billion dollar a year market. So, so my, my my fervent hope is that privacy follows the same track. That all the hardworking professionals out there will get the resources and. And, and budgets that, that they'll need to get their jobs done appropriately. But I absolutely agree with you. I think in the norm, uh, people would the companies would rather spend money on marketing to grow their sales number than they would safeguarding the integrity of their businesses or, for that matter, the, the integrity of the client's data that they, they um, preside over. Right. And I think part of the reason security has really stepped up, the companies have stepped up with security, is because of our original security breach legislation in California that there, you know, that we, we put into that legislation, um, you know, a carrot and, and a stick. And the stick was, if you don't, if you have sensitive data that was acquired by an unauthorized person, 
and it was not encrypted, then you have a duty to disclose. So the, the carrot was, you know, encrypt or do something, you know, with the encryption to protect the data. And if you don't, then you're going to have to disclose and it's going to cost you a lot of money and it's going to be embarrassing. It's not going to be good for your brand and the marketing people aren't going to be happy either. So I think that's one of the reasons that suddenly people, you know, companies were putting more resources into security. Would you, do you think that's right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. You know, I mean, the, the, co- as you say, companies in general left to their own devices, unfortunately, would, will spend the money on things other than security. But as is often the case, when the legislators ste- step in, when the, when the federal authorities dictate the things that are appropriate to be done, then one follows the guidance appropriately. Otherwise, you'll suffer the implications if, they, if you don't. So... I think it was to a great deal of their credit that California set the example for the other states to then follow. And, of course, along with them came a bunch of federal authorities and, and actually then in, in turn the, you know, the trade associations like PCI. I think that all of these things have come to pass as a consequence, candidly, of companies not taking care of it of yeah. their own volition. They've needed the nudge to do it. And, yeah, right. Exactly. And it really, in the long run, it's good for them because it's good for their brand. Oh, it's absolutely. good for their reputation. So what would you say is the biggest challenge facing companies today? We have people driving by that are with small companies, large companies. We have people listening in on the Internet. So, you know, most of the people are business people. What What are some of the biggest, what is the biggest challenge facing companies? Well, I think, you know, it's probably a cliche, but... I do think we're running into a perfect storm in this regard in as much as, you know, corporations now are managing small companies, big companies, matters not in terms of size. They're managing situations where employees are bringing their own devices to the office and using those for business use. We've got applications now up in the cloud. Who knows where they reside? They're just up there in the ether, if you like, uh, with with confidential and and private data up there. Um, And and at the self-same time, the, you know the the intelligence and the sophistication and the and the capability of hackers has grown pretty much steadily year on year. So so here we are with a really increasingly complex environment for a business owner facing down incredibly talented threats, incredibly well resourced threats, and and I think the combination of both those things coupled with the fact that we're all managing with tight resources. The, I don't think the economy had. Uh, you know, has provided for us to have, you know, the kind of resource, a wash with resources. I know my business is not. We're all trying to do as best we can with the minimal amount of resources. So I think the combination of all this leaves us sitting in a situation where complex threats, risk, it's a much more risky environment now to conduct business, and we only have limited resources to safeguard ourselves. But we sit in the middle of all of that. Right. And I think, it, you know, it's inevitable. We'll, we'll suffer the consequences, unfortunately. So what can companies do to preserve privacy's relevance and promote their agenda, you know, effectively? Well, you know, you, you raised the, 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 the thought earlier about security and, and, and the parallel to security and how that involve, uh, evolved. You know, if I'm probably giving away my age, but if I cast my mind back to the earliest days of security technologies, you know, IT security in particular, most folks didn't understand what a firewall was or what an antivirus product was and so on. But today, it's as, uh, as we discussed earlier, it's a $60 billion market. And what made the signif- if I reflect on what made the significant difference along the way as that market evolved, it's when security stopped being 
a veto in the company. It was initially it was there to serve a simple purpose, which was to tell you when things were insecure. Um, and, and then it evolved actually. Then it began to describe itself as as a function of the business that would help you do things securely. So it wouldn't stand in the way of you running your business, but it would help you conduct your affairs in a safe way. And I think that that's where privacy needs to get to. I think that. You know, the regulators have set standards we all need to adhere to. I think prudent companies have adopted their own policies that they want to profess to their you know, various constituents to make them assured that they're going to look after their personal information in the appropriate fashion. And all that's a gr- great entry-level, if you will, exposure to privacy. But I think beyond that, privacy needs to get aligned to the business priorities. It needs to be an enabler to business, not a naysayer, if you will. Um, and I can see it happening. I think I, I, I see a lot of talented people in privacy, and, and they are all focused on helping the businesses succeed. So I think it's only a function of time before privacy gets aligned in the appropriate way, just as security did to the business objectives, helps business realize their in objectives, and then we'll see, I think then we'll see uh, privacy really begin to take off. And it's really a value-added, I know in my For example, in my business, I do a lot of mediation, and so people provide me with a lot of sensitive data, and I I encrypt everything. Now, I don't know of very many mediators who really are CIPPs or who are really dedicated to the privacy as well as the security. So not only is a mediation, which is facilitated negotiation outside of the court, not only is it a confidential process, but it, it has to be a private process, too, so that you're not, you know, sending emails with sensitive data that's not encrypted yep. that anybody could see. And that's that's something that they're not getting in my legal profession right now. It mm. amazes me. I just did a program at the State Bar Annual Meeting in last October, and uh, it was called Ethics and Privacy and Mediation. And I really was shocked to see how many attorneys weren't encrypting data that they were sending to their clients, how many of them didn't have vaults that that, that were really secure. Yep. It just uh, it blew my mind. But, you know, in the privacy and security realm, we, we often hear that you can't have privacy without security, but you can have security without privacy. And so what do you think about that? Oh, I think I think it's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, you know, just look at the raw weight of the of the amount of money being spent on security. And, and as I think I may have mentioned earlier, you know, we Gartner, you know, the analyst firm, believe that that's about a sixty billion dollar a year market today. I, I I don't know actually what the sum total of privacy spend would be each year, but I I make you a bet that it's not even a billion dollars, let alone sixty billion. And yet the two needs to the two elements need to be in balance. So so I think it's absolutely the case that there's a whole heck of a lot of security being conducted without any real cognizance of the privacy implications. Um, and and so, I think so I see uh, the two. yeah, and I think some of my listeners may not even understand what we mean by privacy. For example, you know, what are you collecting? What kind of sensitive data are you collecting that you don't need? Yeah, you can maybe put security around it, but who has access to it, and, and why are you even collecting it, and what are you going to do with it when you're done with it? I mean, that that's the intersection of privacy and security, of whether you ever even needed to collect that information to begin with, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and the, the way the product that we market works, one, you know, companies are able to describe the data they collect 
in such a way that, and it's simple to do, in such a way that it will instantaneously tell them what the liabilities associated with that data gathering would be. And what we find fascinating is, you know, marketing departments will willy-nilly say, yep, we're going to run a marketing campaign. We want to collect social security numbers, date of birth, mother's maiden name, and whatever the heck else. Health, health uh, data. <laughs> right, Everything, you know, and, yeah. and this is all going to be valuable marketing data. And, right. and, and we help them understand that you can do that, but if it comes into harm's way, you're looking at potentially millions of dollars of exposure. Now, if you can forego taking mother's maiden name or perhaps date of birth and PIN and credit card number. And social then, security, then you can, yeah. Absolutely right. You can still conduct the project, but now you're not worrying about, you know, the, the, the vast liabilities that you otherwise would assume. And, and that, even though I describe it as a liability associated with fines, I think it's a direct correlation to, you know, the exposure one puts one's consumers' information to. I mean, why is it necessary to take all this information from consumers when you don't absolutely need it? You, you want to deliver a service or a product to them and only take that which is necessary to do just that. Uh, having conducted the transaction, then do your utmost to safeguard the information for as long as you have to and then destroy it. Transaction complete. I don't think one needs to build this huge database of umpteen kinds of variables describing an individual and then put that individual in harm's way in the event that somebody else gets a hold of it. Exactly. It, just, now it you, makes no sense to me. It doesn't. Now, your company has customers across multiple t industries. We and do. And so, first of all, I guess I should ask, so you clarify what your company does. Let's do that first. Okay. That, that, let me try, and I promise you I don't intend this as a sales pitch, but what we've built is a, is a system that's intelligent about all the regulations that prevail around privacy, uh, immediately in the U.S., and we just recently launched our Canadian uh, regulatory database. We're adding Europe. We'll probably have that in by a uh, couple of months hence. And, um, and having built this database of all the regulations, the product is intelligent enough such that when you describe your business to it, it knows which of these regulations pertain to you. And then if you have a suspected breach and you describe the breach to it in a few simple questions, then it will instantaneously tell you what you're best to do, what you're furthermore obliged to do to notify the appropriate authorities and constituents so that you can advise them as quickly as possible that their stuff's come in harm's way and they can take, aided, aided by you, the appropriate steps to safeguard themselves. And so this whole product is delivered as a SaaS, a software as a service. So one logs into it on the Internet and and. You don't need to install anything. You can easily uh, get it operational in a matter of minutes, actually. So we've got a bunch of big companies uh, and small companies across various industries using it to help them navigate this whole complex landscape of privacy. And, and in, on the day that they need to, it kicks in and tells them precisely what they should now do to steer themselves through a breach. It's, uh, we're thrilled to be doing it. it we, most thrilling, I must tell you, as an aside, is when companies call me to say, I just want you to know we had a problem last week, and without your product helping us through it, we'd still be waiting for, you know, the right kind of guidance from whoever it needed to be, you know, our attorneys or similar, to tell us what we should do. And without your product there to hand to do it, we'd probably still be waiting on it. And, and that's no ding of attorneys who we work with extensively, but it just takes a measure of time to interpret all this stuff and then come up with a recommendation. So... 
that's what we've done. We built a product which does that instantaneously. Well, I like the fact that there is also when they put the data in there, they know ahead of time. So they actually can do some protections, right, on the front end. Yes, they, they, can. Can, they can do some prevention. Now, you know, with these hackers out there, it's not if you're going to have a breach, it's usually when you're going to have a breach That's and to right. what extent it's going to be, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we know right. how many, literally millions of people who have been affected by these breaches. But I think the fact that people are getting proactive through your product and then when it does happen, they have probably minimized their risk if they've taken the suggestions that were provided to them in the software. Have I got it right? Am I understanding? Oh, you've that? absolutely got it right, yes. I mean... You can come and help us do our marketing. The, um, <laughs> the, uh, you absolutely have it right. What, what customers who use us do is, is an expectation that one day this is, this is going to be real. They do fire drills or simulations, and it helps them test out the preparedness for one well in advance of actually experiencing it. So uh, as, our, as our product tells them, you know, you're going to need to notify the Attorney General in Colorado. Here's the address. Here's the template letter. Mm -hmm. You're going to need to advise those constituents in Arkansas. Here's the form letter that the Attorney General in Arkansas expects you to mail out, and so on. Um, they, they then need to figure out, okay, how am I going to do it? Who on earth is going to put these things in envelopes right. and mail them? And so they'd rather find that out in advance and prepare in advance when they have the time and the frame of mind to do it, rather than in the middle of a crisis when they're running around trying to figure out what they're supposed to do, and, and worse yet, realize they have no capability to do it, and they have to quickly as they can sort that out. So, and, yeah, and we, you know, I get those calls. I get those calls oh, from I'm people sure. who, who get these, that they're in a panic, and what do I do? And I think one of the healthy things that you've got is, you know, like I said, that you've got some proactive stuff ahead of time so they know where they're, they, I would think that your software shows them where their data is and what data they have because lot, you have to know what data you have before you can know what data you lost. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So if you, Job you know, one, people actually. will say, I don't even know what we lost. I mean, now people will call me, I have no idea what we lost. I mean, yeah. it's going to take me forever. And, you know, at least under California law, you have to reasonably um, take action within a reasonable amount of time, except if law enforcement tells you that you can't. But oh, otherwise, that's, that's, you know, you have, you have to, you know, be swift. Otherwise, you could be sanctioned for that. That's absolutely right. And, and it's not just now California. I think in the 46 states and yes. three or four you know, territories that have passed their own local le legislation, their own regulation, sure. they, are all, they all describe to, to a lesser or greater extent the granularity of the time you've got. So some, things, some states are very explicit. They'll say you have seven days or 20 days to do X, Y, Z. Others will say most expeditiously or without unreasonable delay and right. so on. Right. And, and, um, and you're left to figure out what that means. Actually, not to oversell the product, but we figured that out. We, we've consulted with a bunch of folks to interpret what those various state descriptors mean when it comes to time, and we, we put that in the product. So it's not, a, it's not software, so the fact that it's online, you can keep updating it with all the new laws that are changing. Is that, is that correct? That's exactly right. And you've just described the, the lot of our internal counsel, our external counsel, and a we have a, a number of law firms using the product to do um, client IR plans, client uh, incident response plans, and, and the collective of those folks all contribute to ensuring that the product is as absolutely up-to-date as possible. So 
the, I don't mind telling you, the good news about regulations is they, they move often time with tectonic plate speed. So yeah. <laughs> we can see them coming a mile away right. and, and, and we can put them in the product in advance of them becoming effective. And even but, if they but, don't become effective, it might be something that is like just best practices. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, absolutely so, right. So you say, well, look at we, you know, this isn't law yet, but it's coming down the pike, and this is a best practice. So you better consider doing this too. So I mean, you're absolutely right, and I, I should have mentioned that that is, in fact, you know, part of the standard product, and and uh, you know. It, if we think about the bills that are currently sitting in committees, you know, uh, you know, waiting to go before the Senate or the House, I mean, we're tracking those so that if ever they do see the light of day, if you will, then we can make it effective in the product. But that's the joy of technology. I mean, it, on the one hand, it provides a bunch of opportunity for, do, for us to do things like this. But unfortunately, at the self-same time, it, it creates a number of new risks for us, and we've got to be cognizant of those, all of us, and and figure out what we're going to do to safeguard ourselves against those with all the security stuff we can put in place. Exactly. So, you know, some people say to me, well, um, I, I have insurance for that. Uh, but I happen to be friends with uh, a gentleman who who was is with Chartist, and Chartist provides such insurance. They require a, a lot ahead of time for you to be covered. And, you know, I mean, you really have to do a lot of work to to really protect yourself before you can even get that insurance. And I don't know about any of the other carriers, but I know that's one of them that has security breach insurance. So you probably know that insurance field. How, what do you think about that? Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think insurance definitely has a role in all of this um, as, a, as a long stop for, you know, the worst case scenarios. Um, you know, I was reflecting on, on this the other day with somebody. We, we actually work with a, a number of insurers, uh, carriers, as mm -hmm. they like to be called. And, right. And, and the, the sum total of the cyber insurance market is staggeringly short, small. I, I mean, it's less than a billion dollars. It's about $800 million. And this is, this is to, to folks who are used to working in trillions of dollars. And, and so they see one of the great puzzles to be unlocked is how can they provide an insurance product to clients easy for the client to get without undertaking a, a lot of you know, audits and, and assessments and the like. And it's well-priced and so on. And, and, and they're of a firm belief that were they able to do that as an industry, then we'd all take out cyber insurance. And why wouldn't we? You know, we sure. all have home insurers and whatever else. So this is a practical thing to do for business. But, but you're, you're absolutely right that in order to secure a policy today, companies generally have to jump through a bunch of hoops. So... Um, so you help them do it with your product. <laughs> we do, actually, yes. You know, I'd be speaking out of turn if I tell you which insurance companies are doing yeah, it, but yeah. suffice to say that there are a couple of them now who can quickly assess the risk associated with you as a potential insured and then give you a product, in, quote, virtually there and then and, and do it with confidence because now they know what the risk actually is rather than, you know, just some huge uh, estimates on their part. We can actually help them appraise the risk in a much more scientific way. Well, John, you're just wonderful. And believe it or not, did that half hour go quickly or what? We oh, are, good Lord. Is that a half an hour already? Oh. I know. We could talk forever, and I could, I could listen to your voice and your accent forever. So just give your website. We've got to go, and we will see you soon. It's super. So the website is www.co3sys.com. So www.co3sys.com. Thank you so much, John. And we will talk to you again soon. You're terrific. 
Yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you, Marie. Alrighty. Yeah, bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 o'clock and don't, and, uh, don't miss the show next week. And visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy where you can see our upcoming guests, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, click on the URLs of our wonderful guests, and join us next week. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.